Gotta loosen Welcome. up, me. I had to loosen up. Yeah, girl, you need to loosen up. No, I'm loose. I'm ready. Oh, good. Oh, All right, here, here we go in three, <laughs> two, one. You're not gonna well, be able to post. <laughs> oh, I'm posting, and this is how it's gonna start. Welcome to the Phoenix College Athletic Podcast. This is Coach Cameron. I'm your host, and with me right now is Lisa Ruiz, our head athletic trainer, and also with me is Mia Provisano. Uh, the assistant athletic trainer at Phoenix College. How are you guys doing? Amazing. Good. Dave. Having us. Yeah. Dave, yeah, Mia, I, I, Mia is the associate head. Yeah. Oh. We're wow. yeah. both. We're oh, equals. That, you're, you're equals? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you guys are equal because you guys do amazing work at Phoenix College. Um, so Lisa Ruiz... Lisa, how long have you been at PC? Um, 15 years? 22. What? For real. I started 20? there um, in undergrad while I was at ASU and uh, did my internship there and then graduated and then went, um, let's see, took a year, then went to grad school and stayed at PC. And then the head job... <laughs> opened up and I interviewed and there I am for like 22 years. Interesting story for you and I is we graduated from ASU the same year. Yeah. Same ceremony. Same month. Yeah. 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 And we didn't even know it until one day I was going through a, well, I did going through a a program that had the names and I was just kind of looking through it. I found it. I was moving stuff around and I was like, David Cameron. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Because it was a December. Yeah. Oh. You, you, sh- you showed me the mug. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Isn't so. that crazy? Yeah. Same year, same year. Especially like Small. a December. You know what I mean? Because mostly people graduate yeah. in May. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's small world. Mm-hmm. Go devil. And me, Mia, how long you been at PC? I have been four years. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this coming school year will be my fifth. I did two as a grad assistant from 2015 to 17. Graduated, left for a year, and then when my spot opened up, I came right back in mm-hmm. 2018. Because well, that... she loves us. I mean... You can't find what we have at PC anywhere else. That's true. And you've been everywhere else. I mean, a lot of places, you know? Yeah. Different levels, everything. We got a good thing going, that's for sure. Well, hopefully we'll keep it going once we uh, eventually come back. But uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate you guys both coming on. It was really difficult to get our athletic trainers uh, (laughs) on this podcast at the same time, but we made it work. I'm very excited to make it work, but I do have some questions for you. And we're going to start with Mia. 
Um, the, the first question I have for you that you can educate our listeners on is how, how do you motivate athletes who are in recovery from injury? We always have a plethora of, of injuries and, you know, some athletes come back quicker, some don't. Can you kind of expand on that? What do you do to motivate athletes? Well, I think you have to, as an athletic trainer in general, between the athletes and the coaches, you're constantly working with very different personality types within sports teams, between sports teams. So I think it will behoove any athletic trainer to kind of like figure out the most effective communication style with, with your patients, with your coaches, with your admins. Um, so that's like my first thing is figuring out what people are going to respond to. Um, and then transparency, um, constant, clear, current communication and setting expectations right away that, you know, I can't fix you. I can give you a million tools that we can work together and that you can work on your own to do. But, you know, I just try to be as transparent as possible. And, you know, I match energy. So if someone is going above and beyond for me, then I have no problem going above and beyond for them. And unfortunately, some people just don't have that they'd rather kind of do the bare minimum and once you learn to kind of reconcile with that you know everybody's different and um you know I'm not gonna break my heart over someone who doesn't really care about their own body which is sad when that happens but it really doesn't often so that's not usually a a huge issue I've run into fortunately yeah, and, and and a lot of the athletes are dealing with like, you know, time. You know, it's it's di- it's probably different, you know, pertaining uh, to sports. So if it's a football player, you know, their season's much shorter than a say a baseball player. Right. So it's probably two different athletes, as far as getting them motivated to recover. Some yeah. injuries will last the whole season. Some will make it within. I mean, um, how how do you do? You know, to stay on this question. Uh, uh, Lisa, when dealing with athletes that are going to miss the season, are you, do you have, I mean, what kind of discussions do you have with them as far as it's going to be okay, you got next year, you know, uh, maybe expand about the red shirt protocol for some athletes um, that have to miss a season due to injury? Um, so what happens is usually first um, when that with athletes that I'm working with, and I'm pretty sure me too, but I kind of go through, like, because there's the denial, they go through the same stages of grief, I feel, um, when they have a season-ending injury. And so I kind of talk with them through that and how they're feeling about it and um, what is the upside to what is going on. I try to do that with them. I know it's really hard at the time because a lot of these athletes can go into um, kind of a depression about it. Uh, just think about it. They've trained their whole life practically. They get ready. They're amped for the season. You have a great team, and then you have a season-ending injury, and then you feel like you're on the outside, and sometimes coaches will act like you're on the outside, and so that's a hard thing for them to go to through. So we work through that, and then we try to motivate them um, maybe with some humor and what's going to happen when we return to play, but they have to be consistent with things and if they're not then we got to give them the, the tough love when needed it's some reality checks about if they don't 
this is what's going to happen um, uh, physiologically as well. Like what will happen if you don't work this back after having uh, surgery or something. So then if that doesn't work and they're not a return to play for the year for sure, then we'll go through a medical red shirt process and or hardship, technically it's called. And um, <clears throat> we can add a Mm-hmm. And and before before you go on that, I, I'd like to thank you, Lisa, uh, for Ariel Aguas, who you did a lot of work for, who probably wouldn't have got a red shirt um, through the NJCAA because he, he got he got hurt mid season, and um, but because of your documentation and keeping record of what was going on, he actually got the red shirt with the NCAA. So he he has another season at GCU. Oh, that's awesome. Which, that's awesome. And that, a lot of that has to do with you guys and and your keeping track of what happened and what kind of injury and stuff like that. So that that was a big deal. I'm not I'm not sure yeah, if Ariel awesome. let you know that, but uh it, it just happened like uh, I think a month ago it was or a couple of months ago it got uh, awarded. So Oh, very good. Um, very good. That, that, yeah, that but you know Sorry, that's another sign of those athletes that he was also committed to getting better. You know, he put in the time, he showed up every day and he asked questions, you know, once, once he got into the rhythm of actually having this injury, what he had to do, um, that was hard for him too, but I am so glad he got that. Yeah. He got another year. That was, I, I was shocked, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, but if, if you didn't do your job, it would have never happened. Okay. And a lot of people, a lot of people just won't do that. Um, so I do, we do all the coaches recognize the amount of work you guys put in as far as paperwork and all that stuff. It, that, that's like kind of the, you know, stuff you probably really don't want to do. You want to treat athletes, right. but sp- speaking of treating athletes, we'll stay with you, Lisa. Um, what do you do as far as designing a treatment plan for an athlete? How, how's that work? Um, first, you know, um, uh, depending on the injury and, uh, we like to take, a total body approach um, to an injury. So it's not just about like their ankle. Um, yes, that's going to be treated, but what was the weakness that caused the ankle injury? And that could have been coming from a different area. So we like to treat the whole body. Um, and then uh, once we get that, we figure out there's certain weaknesses and their position they play and the sport they're doing and what um, all those things factored together, um, then we do some basic things and then we come back with like a, a sport specific and return to play. So a lot of different factors go into designing a therapy plan for an athlete. Um, but we do definitely like to take the total body approach. I mean, was it um, inflexibility that caused this athlete to sprain their ankle or did this athlete have a bad foot for a long time and all of a sudden now they have a hip um, a hip sprain or something. So it takes a lot more to figure out the whole thing. If you just treat the injury, it's going to happen again because you have to go back to the cause. Right. Uh, Mia, can you expand on that as far as, you know, what rehab and treatment techniques um, and maybe equipment have you used to treat injured athletes? Yeah. So I think like quickly to build off what Lisa said, um, Essentially, as like a clinician working on different bodies with, you know, different demands so regularly, you kind of figure out these like overarching dysfunctional patterns, whether it's upper extremity or 
lower extremity, regardless of like an acute or a chronic injury. Um, and those obviously overlap, you know, with breathing and the core and lifestyle choices and stuff. So basically anyone of us, of an athletic population, of a, you know, any type of population is going to um, display some, some, uh, some of those dysfunctional like hallmarks. And so, you know, two people with similar but different injuries could benefit from a very similar rehab plan where two people with seemingly the same injury might not. And so you always just kind of have to go into it. You know, it's not a recipe. It's not like a cookie cutter approach. It really is individualized. So I know one thing I like to focus on at the very beginning, whether it's an issue or a chronic injury, is building foundational skills, you know, things that seem and look really easy and simple. And to some of the athletes, honestly, probably like stupid or a waste of time, but because you get all these kids who have these really high level sport specific skills, like I can dunk a basketball, you know, I can do a bicycle kick, whatever, but then you break it down and give them a little manual resistance on like a simple leg raise and they're jello. So that's amazing. They have all those specific skills, but I know I'm a big fan of working with um, manual resistance at any opportunity that I can. It's very effective um, in terms of improving the quality of recruitment that you get out of your muscles. Um, I think it helps you that like physical touch from another person as opposed to a band or an ankle weight or, you know, a free weight that gives you that feedback. And so not only are you having that one-on-one connection with someone, your body responds to that differently. Um, You're more mindful of your movement. So I try to break it down like as simple as possible and then kind of front load all of their work and manage some of their pain, either, you know, whether it's getting in the cold tub or doing a ultrasound or, you know, everyone's kind of different with that, but I want as much of a foundation as possible. So when I return them, we're, we have some sort of preventative insurance essentially to, um, you know, hopefully circumnavigate some, some other injuries that may have come down, down the line, down the season, if we didn't break, break down the really high level movements into very small building blocks. Right. And that's, it just seems like it wouldn't, when you have treatment and the one-on-one um, uh, expertise you guys have to give to our athletes is amazing. And, and, and I see so many athletes in there and it just, it seems overwhelming, but you know, you guys do have some GAs are, that are helping uh, in athletic training room. Uh, Lisa, can you talk about um, how you organize all that? I mean, who's, who's actually helping you and how do you get that help? Um, with the amount of uh, workload you guys have, have as like Mia addressed, a lot of one-on-one attention is important uh, yeah. uh, for certain athletes, but um, depending on their injuries. But uh, how, do, how do you deal with it? Because when I go in, I, I'm in awe. It's very complex. You get all these athletes. Everyone's on a different table. Some are in the cold plunge. Some are, are doing um, 
strengthening in another room. I, it, it, there's just so much going on, but it's so organized. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? And who, who's your support staff? Um, yes. So <clears throat> thanks for saying it looks organized because sometimes it doesn't feel that way because it's a lot of multitasking. Um, you just don't treat one athlete and stay with that athlete to the end. You're treating multi-sports and multi-athletes multi at the same time. So thanks for saying that. Um, it's our support staff. Well, first we have, you know, me and I, we're a team. We work off of each other. It's a great relationship. Um, kind of yin and yang. Uh, you just know the flow of that person after a while. But then we used to have graduate assistants from A.T. Steele University, where both of us are graduates from, me and myself. And um, this last year, we were uh, unable to, it was a small class for them, and we were unable to get graduate assistants from, for the first time. We were one of the first colleges to actually be in that program when it first started. Um, both of us were parts of that program as well. So we weren't able to get graduate assistance, so we now have um, our part-timer who puts in a lot of time, uh, Jordan White, and she is a certified athletic trainer. She's a graduate of Grand Canyon University. Um, over the years, also this year, it didn't happen as well, we get interns from undergrads um, from accredited programs like Grand Canyon University. Um, and we've had these students around. Sometimes they come back as certified. Uh, but uh, that's where Jordan, Jordan came from. And what happened with that is we were kind of in a crunch. And I put the word out to some of my ex-interns I've had over the years, um, students. And one of them responded and recommended Jordan. And that's how we got Jordan. And she also works another job as well outside of PC. So but she puts in more than enough time um, with us and helps us out so much. Um, she has some of the teams and she helps us with our treatments and everything. So uh, when we need Jordan to do more than what she's already scheduled to do, she steps up and helps out so much because you're right. In order to put in that kind of care and that one-on-one -on -one treatment, um, you need time uh, if you want to give, give, administer the treatment the way you want it to be administrated, administered um, instead of cutting it short. So right now it's just the three of us in the training room, the two full-times and then Jordan, our part-time girl. Yeah. I, I miss Jordan. She did, she did a great job with uh, uh, men's soccer. I can speak to that. Um, we love I'm sure her. she did. Yeah, no. Yeah. We, we definitely appreciate everything she did for us. And I loved her. Uh, I love her demeanor, how she's yeah. just calm. And yeah. That's very important. Um, it is in my opinion, just keep everyone, you know, less freaked out when something happens. But, uh, um, Lisa, uh, mm -hmm. when, uh, you know, you're trying to keep everything organized the way you do, uh, what are common mistakes that athletes make when they enter the training room? And, um, well, there's different ones, but like one of the, the biggest ones for me is that they think that the there will be no rehab or actual physical activity um, or commitment in order to return to play. Um, some of them think that they could just get a treatment with a machine and that's all they have to do and not go to practice and not do any activity and just rest, which a lot of 
I mean, that a lot of people, athletes have thought that over the years is you just rest, you don't do anything and you'll get better. And that's not how it is. You have to start moving. You have to start working on those uh, weak areas. I mean, back in the day, you'd have ACL surgery and be casted up for a very long time before you even move. Now you wake up and you're already moving. So a lot of things have changed, but sometimes the mentality is still the same that they won't have to do a lot. They'll just have to rest or be put on a machine that makes them feel better. And we've really tried um, to decrease the use of the machine so that the athletes don't rely on that for thinking that's what it does. And, it, and anything those machines do is just temporary and an aid to help us, like Mia said, start a base, a foundation, a strong foundation. So I, for me, I think that that's one of the big ones. Um, because you, with rehab, just like playing a sport, you need hard work and determination. And if you don't have that in your rehab and that desire to get back, I mean, you can see the difference in some athletes, that ones that want to put in the time and do what they're supposed to and almost come too much to you and say, what more can I do? And you're like, take it easy a little bit. You know, um, we have a female soccer player like that. We, you know, we had, we had male soccer players, all athletes, but, um, I just think that you have to put in that effort in the rehab room, uh, therapy room, just like you have to when you're actually playing the sport on the field. So that's just one of the biggest um, things for me when they come in. Besides all the little things, like I think it's a social place, and that's fine when we're not busy. But if we're busy, we got to move them along so we know who to get to next or so we can hear each other, even communicate to each other or to the athlete we're talking to. Right. One of the biggest things I get annoyed about is when athletes don't sign in yeah and you know coach we coaches come in that's kind of the first thing we do we go and look who who came in because mm-hmm. you know that we we want to know and and I, I and i wish they do a better job on signing in but uh um i guess it's an easy thing to forget but we need to make that more clear to these athletes uh we sign keep, in sign in oh man we've tried all kinds of methods to do that but the the ultimate goal is with this new program that we hopefully have it fully instituted this year, um, like an electronic, uh, electric, uh, medical recording system. If that was an EMR and, um, is to have them sign in electronically when they walk in the door with that, uh, that lap, that computer we have in place by the door entryway space. Oh yeah. yeah. So ideally that's kind of where we would like to go as they walk in, they have to, click in and sign in and check some things off electronically. But that yeah, takes that, some, you know, yeah, getting together and getting some stuff done. I'm sure we could. I mean, we got, I mean, the, the technology is going through the roof, especially um, I think we got, I, I know we're, we're uh, pushing hard in the, um, I mean, we have gaming as a club sport, but they're going to be investing a lot of money, I think, into gaming and, and into technology that we can actually we we've been talking to them already um about uh we're talking to uh chuck um i forgot his life fortino mm-hmm. um about uh doing some collabor collaborative stuff that will hopefully help athletics as well as help them because we have to show them how to really to um how to make gaming a sport and how you get through the NJCAA because that's where we come in because we deal with the NJCAA, but they can help us out in other things. I think um, Um, Yavapai has a gaming program now. 
It, Chandler Gilbert has a big one. Do Bachelor they? At, oh, it's huge. Like it's legit. Oh wow. Um, and, and Jonathan Brzez is one that put it. Uh, was one of the guys that put it in. Oh, our interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's why they're talking to us. They're talking uh, through uh, our athletic director about doing that. So. Oh, very um, cool. So, so, so hopefully we can, you know, work together to, you know, make things easier in our lives, for, you know, as far as that tracking, that'd be huge. Yeah. Um, but, but it's kind of give and take, but those are the things we need to know. Um, but uh, going on to uh, the next question I have for you guys, uh, and this can go Mia, uh, COVID-19 protocols today. So where, where are we at with COVID-19 <laughs> protocols uh, today? I'm sure they're always changing. Um, so when we ever come back, how do you see us coming back and what do you think protocols we're going to have to take? So you're definitely right that they are always changing. Um, as a conference, we are, I mean, I don't even feel bad saying this, like as a conference of athletic trainers, we're awesome. We're, um, meeting regularly. We have a very large fluid document, um, basically trying to plan ahead for just about any given scenario in terms of returning and rentals and, um, you know, testing and quarantining, almost anything you could think of without getting too stuck, like in the minutia of, you know, hypotheticals and what ifs and super specific stuff that God knows what, you know, what could potentially happen. Um, but I think the biggest things are going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot more time management required of the athletes being accountable, you know, making appointments instead of we run things, you know, very, um, conveniently, you know, we don't tolerate a lot of, you know, BS, but it's very easy to come in quick, get out, you know, oh shoot, I forgot this. Let me really quick. There's probably not going to be so much of that. It's probably, especially at the beginning, going to be more block schedules where only one team is in there at a time. And then, you know, there needs to be time to clean. And there's, there's probably going to be a limit on how many people that we can have in. And so that's definitely going to be um, more accountability for time management between coaches, athletes, Lisa, Jordan, and myself included. Um, definitely regular symptom checks and temp checks, whether that's us doing it or coaches or some other support staff moving away from water bottles into more single-use cups and having maybe someone designated just to fill cups during competition so there's not, you know, 20 different hands pushing on the spigots of the water coolers and um, trying to phase people back into activity um you know so we're outside in small groups to start and we're not using equipment and then maybe you know we pass those couple weeks and move into indoors or shared equipment that gets just passed around in a small workout group but then you're cleaning you know after up all the way towards contact practices um, you know, regular competition stuff. I'm sure there will be a lot more masks. I'm sure there's going to be some emphasis on streaming events as opposed to trying to pack stadiums. So 
there's really so many moving parts. Um, but I feel very confident specifically in our staff and even going as far as to speak for the conference. Um, I think that we have some pretty awesome and capable and highly intelligent people kind of on the, on the front lines, if you will, in terms of all this COVID stuff. Cause really, I mean, it's an unprecedented situation and, you know, the only way to figure out what we're doing is to take it day by day and fill the gaps yeah. that aren't working. So it's crazy, uh, but it'll be good. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty confident, you know, in our staff. We're so creative in our, our ability to deal with any situation. Uh, this is just another situation that we'll get through. But I think that's what makes athletics so strong as uh, far as what we do, especially at our level at JUCO. Um, you have to be creative because we don't have all the amenities that uh, a lot of other organizations have as far as, you know, the Division One universities and, and whatnot. But um, – I think that puts us in a situation where we're always problem solving because we don't have all the resources um, that some others have. And I think sometimes when you have, you're given everything, you're not able to really problem solve because you're not ever in that situation. We're constantly in that situation of having to be creative. Um, and you guys are certainly creative, you know, in, in what you do, you have to be, because I mean, when we were, when we had football and we had, you know, so many athletes, I mean, that, that was hard to, I would imagine to, to, uh, manage, but, um, you guys were able to, you always found a way. So we're in that environment. So I'm sure we're going to be fine. Um, with any protocols we're given, we'll, we'll find a way out. I, I'm pretty confident in, in our athletic trainers, obviously, and, and what we do as a department. So, But even at um, Phoenix, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. No, no, go ahead. But at Phoenix College, we have a great working staff, athletic staff, that works very well together. Um, I don't worry about having to tell you guys something, somebody can't play. I mean, I know a coach and how they feel about things like that. But I never worry like some athletic trainers have to about getting in disagreements with you guys about things that we've made decisions on. Like we all work very well together. And I preach that to anybody I can about my experience at Phoenix College with my, um, my second family, our coaches, our staff. Like we are tight and we were there for each other and um, we can get through anything. It's just, because we work so well together. I just had to say that because I've always felt like you guys are my second family. And I think a lot of us feel like that about each other because we spend so much time together. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, a relationship of, you know, we, we've been here a yeah. long time. I mean, you know, well, that's, that's something been, about the department. Yeah. No, it, it's, um, it, you know, we, we've had our struggles like any department, but, uh, right. uh we, we have, we've overcome every struggle and, and that's just what you do in life. But uh, we do have amazing people uh, in our, in our staff that are able to, uh, to not only work together, but evolve. And I think, you know, we've evolved, um, you know, like I'm a different coach today. I, I, I don't focus on winning. So holding a player out for safety issues is, I have zero problems with that because my job is to move people on. And, you know, speaking of that, I'm, you know, going on to, you know, the last question I have for you guys is given opportunities, hope, second chance that, uh, for athletes, saving lives. 
et cetera. And I'll, I'll start with, you know, how we talked about uh, Ariel Aguas, uh, mm-hmm. the Aguas brothers, which is a unique story because when they came here, they, their family waited 10 years to get a lottery pick to leave Ecuador t- to come to uh, come to America and just so happened to be Arizona. And they were living with some family here on the floor of their house uh, and until they could, you know, find work and, and, and move on. And they had nothing. And so many people helped um, with Ariel and Sebastian. And if it wasn't for Phoenix College, and, and just give you their quick story, is that they come to Phoenix College and, and it was through sport you know, through soccer, then they're good. There's no doubt they're good. But um, when they got here, you know, they barely could speak English. Um, Ariel didn't even have a high school diploma because he had to leave during his senior year. Uh, He was able to get his GED. And then Brenda Stark um, was able to help them, making sure they they were coded the right status because um, she, she was able to, uh, read into their situation because they were awarded in-state tuition, um, which allowed them to get fu- um, not only financial aid but to able to get scholarships. But she was able to diagnose that because the parent, their family was come here. They had to come because of their parents, so that gave them automatic in-state tuition because it wasn't their choice. Um, and not only did they go through athletics with us, both were straight A students, both graduated. Ariel's the captain of Grand Canyon University men's soccer. Sebastian just graduated from Embry-Riddle University uh, and was had the highest GPA ever recorded for men's soccer over there as an academic first-team All-American. And he's graduating with an um, electronic uh, engineering degree, which is basically he'll have a six-figure job. Um, he already has offers, like six offers already, but the, because of what he's doing and stuff. All, all this happened because of Phoenix College and little things that you did, I did, uh, our, you know, the other population with admin, administration and um, our, our uh, enrollment and Gen Ez. I mean, so many people had to play in their lives. It's just amazing. So anyways, uh, that that's kind of one of my stories I like telling. Um, what what stories uh, that that really impacted you guys as far as students that went through your athletic training room and where are they today? Do you, do you, any, any names that pop up, um, that you saw success in at least that you've been there the longest, what what athletes have you worked with that are now successful? Um, let's see. Oh, geez. Uh, well, of course, J-Max, Jessica McDonald. Um, Everybody knows her story. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I really off the spot, like I don't. It's Did hard you to work put with, names to them. Well, you you worked with Ira Brown. Oh yeah, um, yeah, Ira. Um, a lot of those athletes, though. Um, sometimes you know, some of them don't have uh, parents here in town when they're with us. Um, some do. Um, so they, a lot of times they'll come talk to us about things um, that they aren't able to talk to their parents about if they're not local, and we become like second family again to them as well. Um, 
so a lot of times it's just talking to them about where they come from, what they've done, just try, you know, let them talk about their past. Um, we did that. I heard Mia do that a lot, actually. She's really good at that this year with your soccer team. Um, where are you from? What do you do? What, what, you know, what do you like to do there? Things like that. So for me, it's not so much the names that have gone on. It's giving them something that they don't have while they're here, you know, the athletes that they're the girls even that their moms or dads are out of town and these girls just want to come and talk you know to uh, a woman about certain things and just being there for them and knowing that that's made a difference in their lives you know I've had a female um, soccer athlete that just started hanging out around the training room and she was going through a hard time in life and bad family situation and she started hanging around us and then she then she decided she wanted to be an athletic trainer she started getting her path together and her grades together and then she left PC and she went to NAU and she got her degree in athletic training and she went on to work at Texas Tech and all these other schools and she's like a goddaughter to me to this day and now she has uh, a young one-year-old baby and we're still in contact and she's going to come visit me when all this is over. She's currently in Texas. So like not necessarily becoming uh, famous names in the athletic world, but just having made a difference in their lives that they didn't go down the wrong path, that they ended up veering off and doing something great with their lives and continuing their education. And that's what, the two-year JUCO experience means to me is like sometimes these kids have to come um, to create a path for themselves in the future academically or athletically and that's what we give them and our coaches have the pulse on these kids like they're constantly in contact with them what do you need where are you at do you need tutoring Um, how can we help like they know everything about these kids on their teams and um, it should be a pilot program for people to monitor other things off of because our coaches know what they're doing and how they're doing it. And they've proven that both academically and athletically, how well they do it. So for me, it's not about the famous names going on. I'm actually even getting a little emotional right now. It's about what we've done to their lives to make them even like to feel better. Um, you know, they come to us about like even mental health issues and we refer them on or help through that just helping one little notch that might have helped that kid not go home and do something bad that day that just someone listened to them and their path went a little straighter that's what the two-year juco experience means to me and has meant to me and why i've stayed around and and that's exactly right and you really hit it um hit it on the nail uh there with you know, you're you're actually dealing with a segment of a population. I mean, as coaches, we're recruiting, you know, really the 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 forgotten athlete, you know, because of the NCAA keeps changing the rules and making it very difficult for a lot of people even to get there. I mean, KK touched uh, upon that um, that it when the NCAA made some major. Uh, change as far as testing and stuff really eliminated a lot of a lot of athletes from having opportunity it was the junior colleges that came to give second chances like to kk 
um, myself. Uh, yeah. And it it's um, it's really it's 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 the forgotten student as well. As, uh, I love the fact that we bring in student student athletes. Um, well, that would never have went to the college if it wasn't for sport. And you guys play a big part of it because you get a chance to really see how they're doing and, and really get a gauge on them. Because if we get them through those two years with us, the the likelihood of them going on and graduating is huge. And it's it's awesome to to see uh, see that and that that's why I'm there and that's why I'll I'll never leave unless I'm forced out. But uh, Mia, what what what's your experience? Um, you know, being an athletic trainer, associate athletic trainer. Um, associate at, at BC. I, mean, <laughs> I share very similar sentiments, Lisa. Um, I am originally from Michigan. I did my undergrad at Western Michigan and I did, you know, I was in high school in the clinic in a D3, but I also spent four semesters with the football team at Western Michigan. And that was when TJ Flex started there. And, you know, just those guys, there are a handful of them that I worked with um, as an athletic training student regularly that are in the NFL. And, you know, that's, that's awesome. And I had, I could, you know, talk for another hour about how wonderful my experience was at that particular university in that program at that moment of time. Um, but for me, like, there's just nothing better than the population we have at PC between the coaches, the athletes. Like, I feel like they give me just as much as I give them. Um, in a different way, obviously, but I look forward to coming to work every day. And, you know, I'm not ever finding myself waiting for my day off. And I have kids from, you know, three, four years ago that still keep in contact with me or check in on me during COVID. Hey, how, you know, how have you been? And I'm thinking about you. I'm like, oh, you guys, I'm thinking about you guys all the time too. And it's just, you know, a lot of people, especially who don't quite understand the role of athletic trainers and, you know, how it's so different between the high school and the, and the JUCO and a D1, D2, D3, NAIA. Like, I think a lot of people just assume, um, you know, from my experience, like, oh, do you ever want to go D1 or professional? And I'm like, truthfully, no. Like, I, I have the most wonderful job and like work with such great people and I just you know I have more freedom in how I practice clinically and you know it's not so political and it's just like such a positive and symbiotic relationship overwhelmingly like 99% of the time and like Lisa said like I I think it's cool that I I know guys that are professional athletes and that's awesome but it's so much more gratifying to me to just know that we're creating good people and that you know they appreciate us almost all the time so I don't ever feel you know any and like slighted for I don't know I just it's just all so good it really is yeah, it's the connections you make, you know, like when I went through my issues this year, I had athletes from K 
10 years ago texted me asking me how I was doing. And it's, I still have athletes from, I don't know when still call me and ask me my opinion in life or on an injury. You know, they still come back. They, they leave PC and they come in the training room on their breaks and they visit and they text us and they want to go have lunch. And we've established these relationships with these uh, young uh, men and women that I hope, and it seems like they remember. I had an athlete the other day send me a pic, two athletes send me a picture of our team bracelets we wore that year and how they never take it off and they think of me every time they, they wear it. Like it's those connections you make with those now um, men and women starting their own families and life. <clears throat> it, yeah, it's crazy to wa- watch uh, a lot of these athletes we dealt with a long time ago that are now married. Yeah. I mean, so many like met their future husbands and wives at Phoenix College. Um, and it's, oh, Lacey it's, and Jonathan. Lacey was one of our interns. Sorry. Yeah, it, no, no, yeah, they, they're. Uh, I just saw them on Facebook. That's uh, a very attractive couple. Um, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, beautiful baby. I mean, they're they're just and it, it's funny. So Jonathan Perdomo. Mm-hmm. So uh, if if it was, and I'm taking full credit for him, him even having a chance to be married, is uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he was in my program uh-huh. four years. Four flipping years. Uh, year one, it, it, he had issues and, and, and couldn't get eligible. Um, but I kept him around. And then he would like, you know, take take money from me basically through our booster account to in class and never worked out. And he kept, you know, I had met with his dad and him and he was going to go to the army. And I convinced him, like, give it another shot, give it another shot. And eventually he grew up. By his fourth flipping year, became the captain of our team, ends up going with Lacey to a university. At, what university did go to? Um, Sterling. Some, any, uh, Sterling. Sterling University. Yeah. And and, and they, they got married. And, and Jonathan's just a wonderful, wonderful human being. You would have never thought in a million years talking to him um, that he would have ever been that way. But that's and then came we, back we, and helped out in the department. Yeah. Like they come yeah, back. They, Look at the twins. You know, yeah, it it is it is different, and I think it's it, it's partially has to do with uh, we we do suffer a little differently at our level because it's not all the glamour and all that stuff. It's like it's not D one that they always talk about because it, it's be honest about it, the the two year system has a stigma to it. Oh, you're going two year? I mean, yeah. You, you know how hard it is to get Brophy kids to come to PC because yeah. that's beneath them. Yeah, I've had brof- I've had brophy kids now two years in a row, yeah. and it's not a stigma anymore. Um, n- well, t- certainly right now it's it's actually more respected because it makes more sense to go s- uh, start your education where you're actually saving money versus spending money. But um, it, yeah, we could talk forever. And by the way, this is the longest uh, athletic podcast. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. No, I, I like I like the. Uh, KK held the record for one week. Um, so anyways, uh, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Lisa and Mia, for being on the broadcast. This is, uh, this is Coach Cameron with Lisa and Mia, the athletic trainers of Phoenix College, on episode 10. <laughs>